So we are in the book of Habakkuk, and before we jump into the book of Habakkuk, um, we have a, an interesting passage of scripture here today. Um, we have a passage of scripture that is a, it's a song. It is a, it's a psalm that Habakkuk writes. Um, and this song was designed to be sung by Israel and following generations, and I believe us, as the, as the church today being part of the canon of scripture, that we could sing for generations to come, that we could read and we could take comfort in. One of the things I really appreciate, there are many things that I appreciate about Pastor Stephen, um, is I have the opportunity um, on some weeks to, to be a part of the worship team up here. And anyone who's on the worship team knows that the first maybe 15 to 20 minutes of our time together here is breaking down the songs that we are singing that particular day. And what I found in breaking down those songs, uh, even though I am just the drummer and I cannot sing and play at the same time, it really prepares my heart for what we are all going to experience together in just a, a few minutes. Um, so that time that, that Pastor takes with us to, to break down these songs is very, very important to me. And here, Habakkuk writes a song in response to the vision that he has seen. Now this song that he writes is, um, it's scary. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It is, it is a scary um, prophecy song that he is about to enter into. And um, I would say he doesn't know how Israel is going to receive this psalm. How they are going to respond to this psalm. So in, in recap here, in the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 1, we start off with Habakkuk saying, How long, O Lord? How long do I have to see violence? How long do I have to see injustice? How long are you going to wait to dish out some justice here? And God answers, and he says, oh, it's right around the corner, Habakkuk. You see, I'm raising up a people, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and they are going to come in and they are going to enact my justice. And Habakkuk responds to God. And Habakkuk says, oh, okay. Um, God, how, I'm going to ask another question here. How are you going to use a nation that is more wicked than us to judge us? God, how can, you, how can you look at these people and raise them up? They are so wicked and they are so vile. And we just went through the book of Jonah, right? Jonah had much of the same complaint when it came to Nineveh. God, these are, these are terrible people. They are wicked. They don't deserve your mercy, they deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. Habakkuk kind of has the same concern here. He's saying, God, this is not what I had planned. This was not my vision for, for what was supposed to happen here. And we learned that first week. We learned uh, four principles here about God. We learned first and foremost that God is in control. We learned that God, the sovereign God, the uncreated one, as we sang at the beginning, he is completely in control. We also heard that he hears the righteous when they cry. He answers Habakkuk very specifically throughout this book in the way that Habakkuk cries. Number three, we saw that Habakkuk, um, in Habakkuk, that God judges the wicked. He does not let the wicked go unjudged even though it may seem like it's taken a long time. He judges the wicked. And then number four, we saw that God's answer is sometimes shocking and surprising to us. The following week here, um, we started off in chapter two and we kind of ended the first week with Habakkuk going up on a tower. And he's waiting to see what the Lord's answer will be to his second complaint here. And he leaves us with a phrase that he basically says, I'm going to see what God 
does to me. I'm going to see what he does to me because I'm complaining. I want to see if wrath comes down on me because of what I have just said. God, your plan is not the best plan. I have a better plan for you, God. What are you going to say to me? And God responds, and he says, I'm going to give you a vision, Habakkuk. I want you to take this vision. I want you to write it down on tablets so it will be repeated for generations so that people who read it will run and they will tell others about this coming destruction that I am going to bring. We also talked about the idea that this word run not only would cause people to run with the news, but it would also cause them to run in fear of the news. And God tells Habakkuk a very important statement. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, The righteous shall live by faith. And then God goes on, and he talks about the Babylonians and the woe to the Babylonians and all of the things that they're doing wrong, all of the things that they are putting their faith in, their power, their might, their pleasure-seeking, their oppression, their ability to make war and wage war against the nations. And their idolatry, all of this wrapped up in pride, and God says, you're going to die. You're going to be gone, Babylon. I'm going to take your oppression, and I will oppress you with it. I am going to take what you have robbed, and I will rob it from you. I will take your fortresses, and I will tear them down. Everything you think you have will be taken from you. I am the only one that will remain. And we come to chapter 3 here in Habakkuk. And I'd just like to take a second to read the entire song here. We're not going to read the last few verses, but I want to read the entire song for you. Chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens. His earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. I saw the curtains of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Your indignation against the seas? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split, Selah, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear you marched through the earth with fury. You threshed the nations with anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed one. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying bare, laying him bare. From thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors. You came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs. Tremble beneath me, yet I quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Let us pray. Father God, you 
are majestic and powerful. God, the kings of this world pale in comparison to you. God, the forces of this world pale in comparison to you. The schemes of man pale in comparison to you. When we read your word, when we read what you have given your servant Habakkuk to write here, Lord, we stand in awe of you, of your power, of your might. God, as we break down this song that you have given Habakkuk, God, I pray, Lord, that your words would go forth, not mine. God, that your name would be magnified, not mine. God, that you will someday come in power like this, God. And everything else fade away. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so to start off here, after we read that, Shiganath, right? That's the first word. I heard some of you chuckle when we mentioned this word here. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganath. What is Shiganath? Well, the, the simple answer is we don't really know. Okay, It's kind of like this word Selah that comes after this. What we do know, though, is there are a few Hebrew words that are encompassed in this. It is probably a musical term. It's probably a tune that the Hebrews were familiar with. Um, I believe it's ch uh, Psalm chapter 7 um, has another term at the beginning that is very, very close to this word. And basically it means to writhe back and forth. To writhe back and forth. There is this feeling in this song of going backwards and going forward. And there is also an excitement in it. There is a, a power and a feeling. Uh, those of you who are musical, you'll, you'll know that sometimes on, on sheet music here at the top, it'll give you a tempo that you're supposed to play the, the music at. It will also sometimes give you a word like allegro, right? Or, or something, or pesto, or, or something, you know, presto changer. No, I don't know. I'm just a drummer, okay? I just, I bang on those things over there. They're great. Um, but Shiganoth here, this word carries this connotation of writhing back and forth here. And that's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to see here. Some of you are laughing. Pesto is a, yeah, it's a, it's a pasta, right? Anyway, I don't even know. Um, I'm not Italian. Uh, but anyway, um, so writhing back and forth is this, is this idea here. Habakkuk is writing this so that Israel will sing this and remember it. Remember that as we go through this, okay? That's very important. The other thing that we need to keep in mind is that there are three judgments in this book. The first judgment and the people who will be judged are the wicked leaders of Israel. That was Habakkuk's original concern. The wicked leaders of Israel. God says, I'm going to take care of that with the wicked people of Babylon. In chapter 2, God says, I'm going to take care of that as well. But there's a third group that, is, that we're going to talk about today, and we're not going to reveal it just yet. But there is a third group of people who will receive judgment. I want you to put yourself in the mindset of a Hebrew in the time of Habakkuk. You have heard these words. The vision has been written. You have read them. Maybe you yourself have taken them and you have run with them and you have taken them to someone else. And you're, you're scared. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. So I'm a Hebrew of this time, and I, I've taken this to someone, and now I'm able to sing this song. And I say, God, I have heard the vision that you have given to Habakkuk here. I have heard what you said, and I am in fear of what you are about to do. To who in Habakkuk's time? To the Babylonians. To the ones that will come 
and they will be destroyed. I am in fear, God, of your power that you are going to dish out here. He says, in the midst of our years, or in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. What Habakkuk is saying here is, God, in our lifetime, right now, make these things happen. Why does he say that? Well, what was Habakkuk's original question? How long? How long, O Lord? Habakkuk writes here, and the people of Israel cry out, and they say, right now. God, make this happen now. Make it understood to the righteous. God, as this chaos is happening, as you are dishing out your wrath, allow the righteous to understand what you are doing. In the midst of the years, make it known. And then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, Remember mercy. You know, I think there's a tendency sometimes for us as, as Christians to, to look at the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as two different gods. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Our God does not change. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He does not waver to and fro. He is He is the great I am. There is no wavering in him. There is no changing in him. He has a plan and he will work his plan to the end. But Habakkuk cries out and he has the people of Israel cry out, In wrath, remember mercy. This word wrath means disturbance. It means shaking. God, in your movings, in your, uh, in your movings of the pieces of history, Lord, please remember mercy. I was talking to Ted Boykin this week, and I, I kind of shared with him this idea that I was, I was wrestling with. And the idea was basically, um, how can this large, powerful, wrathful God still portray mercy? I mean, what we see happening in here. How does this big, massive, powerful being still portray mercy? And Ted reminded me of a movie that has been mentioned several times here, but many of you have seen the Chronicles of Narnia. And do you remember when the little girl first sees Aslan? And what is Aslan? He's a lion. She asks a question. And she says, is the lion... Is he, is he safe? And someone answers her and says, no, he's not safe. But he's good. This is our God in a nutshell. Our God is powerful. He is not safe by any stretch of the imagination. He is not safe. We're going to see here that Habakkuk calls back for Israel to remember Remember this God who is not safe, but he is good. He says in verse 3 here, God came from Taman and his holy one from Mount Paran. Where is Taman and where is Mount Paran? And what does that have to do with anything that Habakkuk is, is talking about here? Well, Taman and Paran are basically in the Sinai Peninsula. They are south. They are south of Israel here. They are south of Judah. And God is reminding them of something here. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, we're going to summarize the beginning. God has a plan. And he says, listen Moses, I want you to gather the people together. I want you to come to the base of the mountain. And when you come to the base of the mountain, I want you guys to purify yourselves. I want want all of Israel to purify itself because I am going to do something great here. He says, I am going to come in power. The people of Israel will see my power. And he does it right here in Sinai, in this area that Habakkuk mentions here. And in verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, 
There were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast so that the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, and the Lord God said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look, and many of them perish. Turn back to Habakkuk here. Continuing in verse his splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays that flashed from his hands. And there he veiled his power. What Habakkuk is doing here for the people of Israel is saying, listen, remember Israel. Remember when you saw the power of the Lord. Remember when he came down. Remember when he met with you. I do not think that there is a coincidence here with the fact that all of this took three days to complete. God is very specific in the words that he uses. He does not use filler words. He does not use mistakes here. Everything he uses is going to be fulfilled someday. And he tells the people of Israel here. He tells Habakkuk, he says, listen, remember the exodus. Remember the power by which you saw me come. There was fire. There was lightning. There was thunder. There were rays of light, but all of that was veiled by a cloud of smoke. Why was it veiled by a cloud of smoke? Well, if the people were to break through and actually see the power of God, they would perish and they would die. This is as much of the holiness as these now consecrated people who have sanctified themselves were able to see of God. Remember Moses, when Moses asked to see God, even Moses, God had to veil his power and say, listen, you're not ready to see my face. You cannot see my face. I'm going to kind of hide you in the cleft of a rock here. And I'll tell you when I turn my back and I'll pass by and you can look at my back. God needs to veil his power. Verse 5. Before him went pestilence and a plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were everlasting ways. Now if I am an Israelite here, and the Babylonian captivity has already happened, is there any point in history that some of these things happen? I think we have to say yes. I think it's, it's quite obvious that, that Habakkuk here is calling back to the plagues that were, that were done in Egypt for all of Israel to see the power of God. Remember, there are several times in Exodus that Moses cry, or God cries out to Moses and says that they would see my power, that they would recognize it. But we start to transition a little bit. And God is doing all of this. Um, from, from verse 3 all the way down here to verse 7. Notice all the he's in here. His splendor covered. His praise. His brightness. Um, his hand. His veiled. His power. Him with pestilence. His heels. He stood. He looked. All of this is by the power of God. But there's a transition here. 
the people of Israel singing this, have to say, listen, God, when you destroyed Babylon, you measured the earth, you, you measured the nations here, but the eternal mountains were not scattered. The everlasting hills did not um, sink low. God, what are, you, what are you saying here? Why is, there a, why is there a difference? Why didn't this happen when you overthrew Babylon? Why didn't you destroy all of these things? I think this brings us back to this idea of Shiganoth here. That what Habakkuk is doing is what good salesmen do every day. What a good salesman does every day. A good salesman makes the customer see what he has seen. And by doing that, he has to make connections to what the customer already knows to take him to where he needs to go. What Habakkuk is doing here, what God is allowing Habakkuk to do, is say, listen, remember Egypt? Remember the captivity you were in? Remember the power you saw? Remember the pestilence? Remember the plagues? There's something more in the future. What he is doing to Habakkuk here is he's saying, listen, Habakkuk, you are seeing the problem of your Babylon. You are seeing the problem of your leaders. Habakkuk, there's a bigger issue at hand. And it's bigger than your Babylon or your issues. Notice here in verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your indignation against the sea? Where did we say that, that Paran and, and Teran are? Where are they? South, in the Sinai Peninsula. Does anybody know where Cush is? Yeah, it's, it's Ethiopia. It's on the other side of a body of water. It's south, south of Egypt. Where is Midian? It's to the east. To the east of Sinai. So to the west and to the east, there is a wind that goes out when God comes. There is a force that goes out when God comes. So large that on the Sinai Peninsula, when God comes, there is a wind that goes out. And it can be felt as far as across the sea in Ethiopia and as far across the sea into the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. There is a power there. Look what he says about the Lord. He looked and the nation shook. How many of you have a dog? You have a dog? Okay, I have an emotional dog. I've had two emotional dogs, okay? I never have to lift a hand, a newspaper, anything to my dog. All I have to do is look at him. I'll give him a look, and he knows he's in trouble. My look is nothing compared to what the Lord does here. You get the impression that the Lord turns his head in a direction. Some of you have been in school before, and the teacher has asked a question, and you know you don't know the answer. And when that look falls upon you, you're like, Please look somewhere else. The power of the Lord that goes forth from him when he comes this time can be felt far off and it can be felt just by him looking. There is no force. There is no uh, spears here yet or arrows here yet. It is merely the presence of the Lord that is here. Again, when Babylon was judged, some of these things were done. Right? Remember we talked about last week in Daniel chapter 5 when the writing was on the wall? One of the words was that your days are numbered. What was the second word? You have been what? Measured. God comes to judge. 
He says, I'm measuring the earth. Now, God is not, you know, taking a tape measure and wrapping it around the world and saying, hey, did it get bigger? Did it get smaller? No, he's not doing that. He's saying, I am judging you by looking at you. The mountains are scattered. The hills sank low. The only thing that's not affected by God being here on this earth is what? Is God. His ways are everlasting. The seas, the rivers, everything, all the bodies of water that surround the Sinai Peninsula, they are in upheaval. And Habakkuk asks, he says, God, was your, I know your wrath is against the nations, but was it against the seas? Was it against, I mean, it looks like you were angry at the seas, you were angry at the rivers, you were angry at all of creation. What did they do to you? Again, though, for the Hebrews that are reading this, there is still some of that exodus that is supposed to be remembered here. What did God do to the Red Sea? He parted it. How did he part it? It raised its hands up in the air. Again, Habakkuk is is practicing good techniques of bringing someone from where they are now to where they need to go. And the best he can do is use what has been happening in the past. Again, this idea of Shiganoth, back and forth, back and forth. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horse, on your chariot of salvation, verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows. There's a reason that the New Testament often alludes to something, and here's where we're going to find the third judgment. The third judgment is Babylon. Again. You see, we find something interesting in history. Um, Almost any history book that you pick up that speaks of Babylon talks about how great it was. It was a great city. It was beautiful. The culture was amazing. The works of art they created were astounding. The way that they governed was just beyond compare. Remember, we talked about it the first week. How did they govern? Well, they came in, and they didn't so much take you over by force, They came over and took you over by their force, by the sheer size of them. And when they came in and they took you over, they took all of your smart people and they re-educated you. They gave you a new name. They changed your culture. They changed your society. And what we see here is that every nation that follows Babylon from that point, takes this idea. I will reshape you in my image. I will take what you know, and I will twist it, I will change it, and I will make it what I know. Because I am more powerful. Because I took you over. Because I was smarter. Because I was more powerful. I, I, I. Turn with me to, some of you are going to get scared here. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. We spoke about this briefly the first week here. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard the four living creatures say with a loud voice, Come and look, and behold a white what? Horse. And its rider had what? A bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came conquering and to conquer. What Habakkuk sees here 
it's not just his Babylon being destroyed. He sees a glimpse of the future of what God has planned for every nation. Someday the seal will be broken. A white horse will come down in power. It will be ca- the, the rider will be crowned with many diadems. We're going to get to that in a second. Will be crowned with many diadems. And in his hand will be a bow to conquer the nations. Hop back. Hop back to verse 5. With him went pestilence and a plague followed at his heels. Hop back again to verse 7 here of Revelation. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth creature saying, Come and look. Behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. And they were given all authority over the, a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. If you look back again, or we could just kind of summarize this wind that came out from, uh, from Cush and also uh, affected Cush and affected Midian here. If we look at Revelation chapter uh, 6 verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I look and behold, there was a great earthquake. The earth shook. The sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood and the stars fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it is shaken by a what? Gale. By a great wind. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us, hide us from the face who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of wrath has come and who can stand? Habakkuk sees a picture of what ultimately is going to happen to every nation of this earth. See, Habakkuk, Babylon is a small part of this puzzle. There will be more Babylons. 1 Peter, 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, uh, Peter actually refers to Rome as Babylon. He refers to it. He's not in Babylon. Who he's writing to is not in Babylon. But he refers to the Roman system as Babylon. Babylon. Revelation talks about the whore of Babylon. The idea that every nation that follows it follows in their footsteps. That they are just a recreation of the next Babylon. Guys, we go back to chapter 2. If your faith is in this nation, then you've already bought into what the whore is selling. If your faith is in your bank account, you've already bought into what the whore is selling. You're already guilty. Your faith is in the wrong place. Where should your faith be? In the one who, when he shows up, he just has to look. He just has to look. The mountains shake before him, they fall away, the islands disappear, the waters rage. Power isn't oppression. Power isn't, you know, human might and strength. Power isn't the schemes of man. Power isn't a system of government. Power is the Lord. And it is raw. And it is scary. Is he safe? By no means is he safe. But he is good and right And the only one worthy to break the seals. The only one worthy to carry the bow. The only one worthy to send out the gale. The only one worthy to judge the nations. Continuing in verse 9. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave up its voice and lifted its hands on high And then we go back again. The Shigonoth, verse 11. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. 
and the light of your arrows sped and the flash of your glittering spear. Again, Habakkuk is going to say, remember Israel. Remember the power of your God. Yes, remember God on Mount Sinai. Remember the power he came and and how he veiled it. But also remember Joshua chapter 10. When the armies of of God, when the, the armies on this earth, the army of Israel was fighting and they cried out, God, we need more time. The sun is going down. And God said, hey, I've got you covered. I can't even snap. I got you covered. Snap! And the sun stops. And the moon stops. It's one thing for God to affect everything that we walk on, everything that we breathe, everything that we, we, we drink from. It's one thing for him to affect that. It's one thing for his power when he comes on Mount Sinai to be felt far off. It is a completely different thing for him to stop the sun and the moon where no man at this point has ever tread or ever been. Something that has never happened in the history of the world that it stops. But again, he's going to hearken to a day that will come. A double meaning here. Remember Joshua. But this verse here is talking about speed. Speed. When the Lord moves, it's as if the sun and the moon stand still. The speed of his arrows, the speed of his, of his spear. Remember, this happened to Babylon. It happened in a single night that the kingdom was taken away from Belshazzar. In a single night, in a single motion, he was gone. The same thing is going to happen to the great Babylon. The same thing is going to happen in the future to every government system. They are going to be running. They are going to be saying, all is good. Everything is great. Let's enact some new foreign policy. Let's do this for our people. Let's wage a war here. Let's win. Let's do this. And all of a sudden, calamity will fall upon them without warning. Verse 12, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations with anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed one. Our God fights for us. Our God fights for us. Who wants a God that doesn't fight for you? That's where Habakkuk is at the beginning. He's saying, listen, God, how long? Where are you? You're nowhere. There's violence. Your word is being tread on. Your word is being ignored. Where are you? Where do we find God? God is seated on his throne. God is watching. And he says to Habakkuk, In my time, Habakkuk, not in yours, in my timing. (laughs) In my timing. Let me go back here to Revelation chapter 6. Hang on. Revelation chapter 6. I just, I think it's the fifth seal. (laughs) The fifth seal. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of, who, of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, what? How long before you judge and avenge the blood of those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants And brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What an answer. Wait, there's still more violence. There's still more destruction against my people. Friend, if you're sitting here today and you know Christ and you think somehow, some way, you are going to
if you think that there is a way that you are going to create peace in your life before the coming of Christ, you are sadly mistaken. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care how good your job is. I don't care how secure it is. I don't care how many kids you have. Ask Job, right? I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care how your life is set up. You are promised wrath. You are not promised health, wealth, and prosperity. You cannot name it and claim it. The only thing that you can claim is that the world hated Jesus. And guess what? They're going to hate you. But the great news of that is that this world is not our home. What do we read? This world will pass away. It's all temporary. The only thing that's not affected when God shows up is God. We sang here and we read in the psalm, he is our fortress. He is where we find shelter. Jesus cries out to Israel when he's there and he says, Oh Israel, how long I have longed to gather you like a hen gathers her sheep under its wings. Unless we're there, unless that's what we put our hope in, everything else falls away. The only thing you are promised is pain. The pain of seeing your friends, your loved ones, maybe your children, your parents, who have followed Christ, go up against the seemingly unstoppable force of this world and of governments of this world and being slain and slain and slain. So much so that the saints who have passed before us cry out, how long? And God gives them a white robe and says, a little longer until more join you. We said this before, patience is a gift from God. How long, O oh Lord, be patient. There are more to come. There are more who will accept there are more who will find out that my kingdom is not of this world. There are more who will find out that I sent my son to die for the sins of this world. And they can put their faith in him and be added to your number. How long, O oh Lord, until more come? That is where our faith is. Verse 13 you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. This idea, the salvation of your anointed, can mean one of two things, and I think, again, it means both. The fact that God was protecting the line that the Messiah would come from. That he was protecting Israel so that the Messiah, the Messiah's line could be preserved. God was moving the pieces throughout history so that Jesus would be born someday. But I think there's a second meaning here. We spoke about this when we talked about the, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. We sung about it this morning. Death and sin could not hold him. And what did God do for him? God raised him from the dead. God fought for the salvation of his anointed one. The Father rescued the Son from Hades and from death. Don't believe me? It's in Acts. It's in Romans. It's in First and Second Corinthians. It's in First Peter. It's in Galatians. It's in First Thessalonians. It's in the book of Hebrews. It's mentioned several times that God raised Jesus from the dead. He saved his anointed one. But he also saves his people. I'll say it again. Who wants a God that does not fight for them? Even though our God may seem idle, he is sitting, seated on the throne. He is perfectly in control of all things, even when his son was on the cross and died at the hands of sinful men. God was not out of control there. God had everything in place. God knew exactly what needed to, to happen, even if the disciples did not know and they were scared and ran in fear. Even if Israel did not recognize the Messiah and was looking for someone to come 
and overthrow the nations right then. They did not understand that the Savior needed to come and be pierced, to die for the sins of man. They wanted someone to come and rescue them from the political persecution of this world. As we get into John coming next week, this is where Israel is. They are looking for a political savior. They weren't looking for the suffering savior that was to come. They were not looking for his anointed one. Notice, continuing in verse 13, why else do I think this is speaking of Jesus? You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what does God say will happen between the snake and the one who is to come? That the snake will bruise his heel, but what will he do? He will crush his head. Again, we have a double meaning here. He will be split. His head will be crushed. He will be split from neck to thigh. This is supposed to be an encouragement to the Israelites here of the first Babylon that's coming. Who came after Babylon? The Medes and the Persians. Two nations from neck to thigh split in half. Yes, is Babylon going to be judged in the time of Habakkuk? Absolutely. Babylon will be judged and it will be split in half between the Medes and the Persians. But ultimately, evil, the system of this world will be judged. Its head will be crushed. The head of the wicked is Egypt. Yes, it's Pharaoh. Absolutely. And he was crushed. It is the oppressive rulers of Israel. Were they evil and wicked? Yes, and they will be crushed by Babylon. Babylon itself is it wicked? Yes, and guess what? God's going to use the Medes and the Persians to come in and destroy Babylon. But the system of this world, is it corrupt? Is it twisted? Is it twisted by the influence of the one who believes he has a chance? The one who believes that he can continue to pervert. The one who believes he can continue to distort. The one who continues to believe that he can change your focus and get it away from God and on yourself or on him and his system. I'm talking about that old devil, Satan. I'm talking about the great dragon, His head will be crushed someday. It's not just the things of this world. It's not just the nations of this world. It's not just the sun and the moon that will be affected. It's not just the mountains and the rivers. It's not just the people. It's the evil one will be crushed. Laying him bare from thigh to neck. Verse 14, you pierced with his own arrows, the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. Again, you get this picture of the people of God, and they are about to be destroyed. And there's a hail of arrows coming at them. And our God steps in, and he raises a hand, and all of a sudden those arrows turn around. And the very ones that shot them are killed by those arrows. That's the God that I serve. The God that can stop an arrow. The God that can stop a bullet. The God that can not only stop it, but then turn it around and return it to sender. This is what God told Habakkuk would happen to Babylon. The oppressors will be oppressed. The robbers will be stolen from. The fortresses will be torn down. The very thing that you think holds your power will kill you in the end. I'm just going to turn it around on you. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear 
and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. You get the picture here that the people of Israel expect, the people of God expect to be destroyed. Habakkuk expects to be destroyed. And he's quivering. And he's scared. But what is he scared of? He's scared of the arrows? Or is this hearkening back to the beginning of this song? God, in your wrath, remember mercy. These are the ones who receive mercy. I hear and my body trembles. My lip quivers at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. Ignoring truth. There are two groups of people here. There are those who sit quivering and trembling but waiting who have put their faith in the word of God. These are the righteous who survive, who live by faith, but the ones who receive wrath have ignored truth. Ignoring truth never results in a good outcome. When I was six years old, um, we used to just roam the streets of Philadelphia. Not really. Look at my mom. She's like, really? Really. We were around the corner. And uh, I was with my cousin Eric and my best friend Nick. And uh, Nicky and Eric were arguing something. And I was on the other side of the argument. And I felt like I was right. And I said, you know what? We were on Eric's side of the road. And we were on kind of like a little half circle. Um, It wasn't a very busy street. But I, I crossed. And I said, you know what? I'm so mad at you. I'm going to go walk on my side of the street. And I left them, and I walked on my side of the street, and I heard Eric say, watch out, the pit bull is coming. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what, you just don't want me to cross the street. Like, that's what I thought. I was like, you know what, you're just being a jerk, and you're trying to scare me. I said, whatever. And I kept walking. And I got to my side of the street, and I turned my head, and I looked. And the dog was coming. And I thought to myself, oh, he wasn't lying. The day of wrath had come upon me. And the dog's wrath was serious. I turned to run. My first thought was to jump on top of a car. Don't know why. Six years old. Thought jump on the top of a car. Run away. I turned my back, and I might have gotten a step or two, and that dog bit me right in the base of my back here. Shook me around, threw me out into the middle of the street, and kept running. See, I ignored the truth of what my cousin told me. Wrath came upon me. The nations of this world that keep ignoring the truth of God's word, your friends and family, that keep ignoring the truth of salvation, the power of salvation. The wrath is waiting. The wrath is coming. And they may claim safety. They may claim security. They may claim power. And that power may be in their bank account, it may be in their job, it may be in their family. It was most likely is in themselves and their own way of thinking. But when the wrath comes, it will be too late. It will come upon them in an instant. Here's what the wrath will look like. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. We sang about this this morning. 
after I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgment is true and just, for he judged the great prostitute. Again, talking about Babylon. In chapter 18, what happens right before this is a great stone is cast down upon Babylon and it is crushed. It is crushed and burned up. Judgment has come. He has judged uh, the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures bowed down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, small and great. Right after this, there is the the reward for the bride of Christ. He goes into what awaits those who have trusted, who have been found faithful, who have the blood of the Lamb on them. This is the reward that he gives, but for everyone else. We pick up in verse 11. Then I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by his, uh, I'm sorry, and his name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread on the winepress of fury, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of lords. Guys, when Jesus comes back, the power that he exudes from this, no nation will be able to stand in his wake. It will be a dreadful and fearful sight for those remaining on this earth. They will wish to die at the sight of our Savior coming back. He has a name which no one knows. And written on his thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has a banner that goes out before him. You think you're a king? I'm your king. You think you're a Lord of this world? I am the Lord. You will not stand. His very name is the Word of God. If you do not put your faith in the Word of God, you will be condemned. And it will be a sorrowful day. You will wish you were dead rather than facing this wrath. We conclude here with Habakkuk's praise. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold And there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take my joy in the God of my salvation. Lord, know that I I have nothing, Lord. That I have no money. That I have no food. That I have no security. That there are no walls around me. That there is nothing to protect me. Lord, if I have you, you are my salvation. You are my protection. If all fall away, but I have you. I will live. If pestilence comes to my door, I will live. If a hundred fall beside me, if ten thousand fall at my right hand, I will live because of you. And all I have is you. You are the reason for my salvation. God, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. 
Remember where we saw Habakkuk. This is his transition. Habakkuk goes from the beginning and he's crying out to the Lord and he says, how long? And then he says, oh, the Babylonians. Well, God, I am going to climb up on a tower by my power, by my strength, and I am going to wait and I am going to look with my eyes to see what you have coming for me. And he ends here at the end of this song and he says, God, You are my strength. God, you make my feet like a deer's feet. Remember, I'm afraid of horses and deers. We've talked about both of them today. Um, You have made my feet like a horse's feet, like deer's feet. What, What is unique about a horse's feet or deer's feet? They're hard, right? They're hard. They can handle walking on rocks. How well do you think Habakkuk's sandals handled climbing a mountain? I mean, you guys climb a mountain and you're like, yeah, put the sandals on. We're going, to, we're going to hike up a mountain. Some of you are like, absolutely. I'm like, you're crazy. You're nuts. He makes his feet secure. You've seen mountain goats and deer jump with grace and ease. This is how God makes Habakkuk's feet. But where does he make Habakkuk's feet like this? on high and we come back to Aslan the top of the mountain how many uh, how many of you have ever seen Yosemite National Park anybody ever been there El Capitan right you got the you got the big dome when you get to the top of El Capitan how and you want to stand on the edge how safe is that that's not very safe generally the tops of mountains if you're climbing, aren't very safe. There's usually less air up there. Okay? There's usually more treacherous things. Things don't hold together as well. Through the hard times, Habakkuk's saying, through the most dangerous situations, you are making my feet firm and secure. Even if the whole world is falling around me. Even if everything I put my faith in is gone. God, if my faith is in you, I have everything. God, you are in control. God, you do hear me when I cry. God, you will judge the wicked. And God, your answer is shocking. It's scary. It's dangerous. But guess what? It's good. I will not rely on my own strength. I will not climb my own tower. I will allow you to place me where you want to place me because you will make my feet firm. This is where Habakkuk has come. From questioning to contentment. We are going to face many things in the future. Some of you may get all up in arms when legislation doesn't go your way. When a judgment doesn't go your way. When you don't get that promotion at work and we think, oh man, what did I do wrong? What, what's, what's wrong with me? Why did, why did karma affect me in this way, right? That's basically what you're saying. What did I do wrong? The answer is that if you've put your faith in the word of God, you've done nothing wrong. You've experienced a small portion of what Habakkuk is talking about. This world is not your home. This world will fade away. It will pass away. God will judge all of the wickedness in this world. It's not even your job to do it. Vengeance is his, says the Lord. What will shake you? What will cause you to break? If your faith is in the word of God, there's nothing that can happen in this world that should shake you or break you or take you away from the security and the strength of our God. Let's pray.